Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Brendan. This is a nice cheery reading for us to start with today. Um, probably what people expect from the prophets, but we've already seen over the last few weeks that this prophet Jeremiah has a lot more to say. But we can't ignore these kinds of uh, truths in the Bible of justice and judgment uh, and God speaking about big events and what's happening. We're in the middle of this series we've called Restoring the Darkness. Um, and I love that, that phrase because it captures the reality that there is darkness, that we have questions and difficulties and we're not shying away from them. But we want to reflect on them and listen for a new way of seeing and understanding them. And the idea of restoring isn't a simplistic answer, um, but it, it talks about you know, working it out as we go and learning to live it out in new ways. The reality is that we have questions when there is darkness. Why is this happening? Where is God in the midst of this? Why is he allowing this to happen? Why doesn't he stop it? And I don't know about you, but I've seen some pretty terrible answers to those questions over the last few weeks. Uh, really poor theology in uh, various forms around the world. People saying things like this is the you know, end of the world or this is the judgment of God or God is making this happen. Um, stories of, of churches, unfortunately, meeting around the world in defiance of public health recommendations, believing, of course, God was not going to let them suffer, and then tragedy befalling them. And I hope we know that that doesn't fit with the God that we know, with the King Jesus that we follow and with his word. But what can then happen is because we see such terrible theology, we think it's all too hard. We're just going to ignore the question of where God is and why this is happening and how we explain this. The prophets invite us to find a middle way, not to ignore it, not to come up with definitive answers uh, that just make us look silly, but to wrestle with the genuine questions that we have. You know, faith doesn't mean removing our questions, nor does it necessarily mean solving our questions. Faith is about recognizing the reality of the suffering in our world and allowing God to speak into it. And throughout history and certainly throughout the Bible, I think most followers of King Jesus would attest that faith actually intensifies the questions. It doesn't make it easier. It actually makes it harder. It gives us more to wrestle with because we believe in a God who is loving and powerful. And yet we live in a world that is broken and dark. So Jeremiah is the prophet that we're sitting with over these weeks. And he spoke into a time when the people of God had experienced probably the worst of the worst. Their city had been destroyed. Many of their family members had been killed. The worship center, their temple had been razed to the ground and they had been carried off as slaves into a foreign land. It doesn't get much darker. And that raised genuine questions for them as people of faith. Was God not powerful enough to stop this? The fact that this happened, does that mean that God is not the powerful God that we thought he was? Or does God have the power, but he just decided not to help us because he doesn't love us? Is God not the loving God that we thought he was? What is God doing and saying through this? And the prophet Jeremiah brings together in his book a collection of different types of responses. We've seen that there are sermons, there are prayers, there is advice to kings, there are letters we're going to see in the coming weeks. As he helps the people wrestle and work out the key ideas that they need to hold to. We looked a couple of weeks ago at the key idea of lament, that God is with us in the darkness and invites us to cry out to him. And then last week we talked about confession, 
both recognising our own human frailty, but also affirming the character and majesty of God. And in the next two weeks, we're going to move towards some really cool topics like peace and hope. But as I said, we couldn't ignore that Jeremiah sits in this space where he does seek to address those questions, not giving simple answers, but speaking into the how and the why do we see God at work in what's happening around us. And Jeremiah is able to say to the people of his day that God can be using the kings and the nations and the natural events that are happening to demonstrate his justice and his mercy. Not that God causes all these things, but certainly that God is at work in and through all things. And that's a challenge to us at the moment. How is God at work even in this situation we find ourselves in? So I wanna talk today about this idea of providence. Uh, Providence is basically defined as God's care for and action in the world that he has created. God's care for and action in the world that he has created. God's preserving and governing work of his creation. And this is a, a theological idea that's pretty clear and that Christians throughout history have always said we believe in a God of providence. We believe in the providence of God. But we've wrestled with explaining the details. It's always a challenge in every generation, in every situation. It's been a subject of debate because we've tried to kind of logic it out and to figure out and understand how God works. When the reality is there are some truths we are going to need to hold in tension from the Bible and from our own experience. We believe in a God who is loving and a God who is powerful and a God who permits evil and brokenness. How can all these things be true at the same time? So over the years, people have developed a whole bunch of different theological theories and models of providence. I've actually got this book here uh, called Providence and Prayer, which I've been rereading this week. Um, A guy called Terence Thiessen, and he looks at 11 different theological models of providence uh, and different ways that people have tried to figure this out from people like Karl Barth to Thomas Aquinas to John Calvin to everyone in between. Um, And he looks at how they work out in practice. And it's pretty clear that there are things that we can say are not the case, are not the right answer to how God works in the world. The question of how God does work in the world is a little bit more nuanced and difficult. So at one end, I can say with confidence, we as Christians are not deists. That is, we don't believe in a God who is hands off. Deism would be the idea that God is powerful, but he doesn't care enough to intervene. He creates the world, he sets it on his course, and then he says, off you go guys, on your own, I'm gonna be hands off. And from the Bible, we know that's not the picture presented of our God. There are plenty of stories of God intervening in world events. And I hope from our own experience, we can think of stories of God intervening in our lives. In our new online gospel group, we've just been sharing our stories with each other, which has been really amazing over the last few weeks. And a couple of times it's come up in different people's stories of how God intervened and they really saw God's hand through events in their lives. And of course, the cross is the ultimate example of this, that God doesn't leave us to our own brokenness and sin and suffering, but he steps in. So we do believe that God intervenes in the world. So we're not deists. But then at the other end of the scale, nor are we fatalists or determinists. Determinism or fatalism would be the idea that God controls and directs everything. So God intervenes to the extent that that we have no free will whatsoever. God is directing specifically every event that occurs and specifically using all the things that are happening to bring about his purposes. 
And again, I hope we recognise from the Bible and from our own experiences that that doesn't seem to be the way that God works. We experience free will. We make decisions all the time. And we even see in the Bible God doing weird things like changing his mind or actually not bringing about what he has said he will do. So not controlling and determining all the details. So we know these two extremes are not the God of the Bible, the God who has revealed himself to us. And we have to sit somewhere in the middle. And that's the tension we find ourselves in. I think my summary would be not, we don't believe that you know everything happens for a reason, but perhaps a better way of saying it would be that there is nothing outside of God's purpose, that God can and does use all things for his good purposes. And yet he doesn't determine uh, and overrule in the way that he operates in the world. So let's go to Jeremiah. And we have this passage in Jeremiah 18, which uh, at first glance might have sounded a bit confronting and a bit confusing. But I think we're going to see what Jeremiah is doing here. There's really two sections to what Brendan read for us. In the first part, God gives Jeremiah this image of the potter and the clay and kind of explains it to him. And it really sets up a framework. Uh, it doesn't answer all the questions, but gives a framework for understanding the big truths about God and how he works in the world. And then Jeremiah is able to apply that framework and speak specifically to the people of his day. And so the second half of what Brendan read is Jeremiah's prophecy or words for the people of his day. So you have the big framework and then the application of that to their particular situation. And so for us, that framework, I hope, is going to be really helpful. It gives us an insight and a way of understanding and naming some things that are true. But the application, well, we can't just simplistically take that and say, well, that's got what God is saying to us. That's where we get ourselves into that dangerous ground that we've seen too many people around the world do. What Jeremiah invites us to do is listen for the voice of the Spirit in our time and to say, how does this framework help us respond to a living and active God in our world today? So our goal is never to simply impose Jeremiah's words on our time, it's really dangerous when people do that because it's a very different situation. We live this side of the cross. We are the New Testament people of the kingdom, not the Old Testament people of Israel. But we have the same God who works in the same ways and who speaks into our time and our place. So this framework that God gives Jeremiah really hinges on this key image of God as the potter and us as the clay. And in fact, God actually invites Jeremiah to go to a pottery shop and to watch a potter with a kiln and with a wheel making um, clay pots. It is a reminder of who God is and of who we are, which is very similar to what we did last week when we talked about that double aspect of confession, confessing our brokenness and confessing God's glory. So if we are clay, then it humbles us and we recognize that we are not the primary actors in this world. Now that might sound really simple and easy, but that's actually a countercultural revolutionary claim that human beings are not the primary actors in our world because we like to think we are, and certainly we experience life in some sense that way. And yet, a situation like the one we find ourselves in right now reminds us that we are at the mercy of creation, of nature, of other people's decisions. We are not gods. Not even all our wealth and all our intelligence and all our collaboration has fundamentally changed the world that we live in. And in a sense, some of us are finding this season a wake-up call because we have been acting as though the bad things that happened to other people or that have happened at different times in history could never affect us. And we've been humbled to realize that we are but clay. 
we are creatures and we are subject to the brokenness of creation. In verse 4, when Jeremiah looks at the clay, he sees that the clay is marred. It is broken and it needs to be reshaped. And there's something in that of our understanding of what it means to be human. There are lots of places in the prophets and the Psalms where God actually scoffs at humans when they try to control things. Rulers who try to control the wind. It's not from the Bible, but you might know that famous story of the king who went down and tried to hold back the waves of the sea. And God laughs. Because whether we have terrible leaders or great leaders, they are all human leaders and we cannot place our ultimate trust in them. What does it look like to be humbled and to remember that we are but clay? Jeremiah says to the people of his day, you know this is how the world works. You know that there are disasters and diseases and suffering and yet you have been living as though they will not affect you. You have been pretending that nothing bad could ever happen to you and putting your trust in your wealth or your achievements or your intelligence or your idols. And I wonder what he would say to us today. If we are feeling surprised by the situation we find ourselves in, is it because we had forgotten that we were but clay and we were pretending to live as potters? Because God is the potter. God is the creator and we are the created. And in speaking about the potter, we, we understand here from Jeremiah that God is powerful and God is loving. Both of those are true at the same time. And yet what I see in this passage that really encourages me to find that, sit in that tension, is that God somehow chooses to limit his intervention. He is a God who intervenes and yet he does not always intervene. And that's the mystery of God. There are two words that I want to give you today for who God is as the potter. Um, they come from this idea of, of this passage in Jeremiah and I think they capture uh, not an answer to all our questions but a framework that will help us respond to the questions we have. The first one is that God is responsive. God is responsive. That's the very nature and character of God that he responds. That was actually one of the words someone had last week. I don't know who got it, whoever you are. You got that word that God is responsive. Uh, it's one of my favorite words for God. And it's not a word that you'll find in a lot of traditional uh, systematic theology textbooks, which try to logically think through what God is like. But it is the witness of the Bible. And it is our experience of King Jesus that God responds to the people that he has created. He has chosen to give us freedom and to work in a way where when we are open to receiving from him, he will act. And I think that does help us go some way towards answering these questions of providence. Why has God chosen to act the way he has? Because he is living and active and responsive to the creation that he has created. You can't logically think out how God works and who God is. I've been wrestling with this topic for weeks because I just want to give you an explanation and put it in a neat box and say, this is how God works. But if I could explain God, then kind of would be God. And that would be problematic for all of us. God has chosen to work in a particular way in this world to the point that there are things the Bible says that God cannot do. I know in Sunday school, we say God is all powerful and God can do anything. But there are things that God cannot do because of the way that he has chosen to relate to the world that he has created. And so when Jeremiah talks, uh, looks at the image of the potter and clay and God explains what it means for him to be the potter, God says, you know, I might say that I will judge a nation, but then if they repent, I will not bring about that judgment that I said. 
Or there might be a nation uh, that is going in one direction, but I will reconsider my plan and purpose for them if they do not listen to me. And this idea that God is responding to what's happened. He's given us choices and free will and the ability to act in the world. And he has chosen to limit himself so that he might be relational and responsive to us. Maybe that's another word. God is relational. You know, that God chooses to be in relationship. And so the prophets are able to speak of God as both the one who divinely initiates and intervenes. And yet humanity is having responsibility to act in this world. And creation becomes if you like, a joint venture between us and God, that we do become actors in this world, not the primary actor, but we have opportunity and responsibility. Or in the New Testament, we get from Paul the language of co-creators, that we are co-creators with God and that God, who created all that is, has kind of limited himself to the role of co-creator and allowed us to participate with him in what he is doing. And so God is responsive. The second word I have is that God is restorative. God is restorative. God's purpose in his intervention and his action in the world is always restorative. I know that sometimes people read the Old Testament prophets and think that somehow God is punitive or God is retributive, that he is trying to punish and bring about vengeance and retribution. But that's not what Jeremiah is saying here. And I think it's not the witness of the whole Bible. God is not just seeking to punish and smite people. And yet on the other hand, God's purpose is not, nor, is not also not prosperity. God is not just on about giving everybody everything that they could ever want. We see again these two kind of extremes of people who think God is angry and just waiting to smite them or people who want to talk about God as some magic genie in the sky who will just give us whatever we want. But God has a purpose and his purpose is restorative. And again, this is a relational word. God is restorative in his relational intervention in the world. And so in verse 11, God talks about his purpose being to reform his people. And in verse 15, in the specific application of this judgment, um, he talks about how his people have forgotten him and he wants them to come back and remember him. God is always on about seeking to restore. And we've talked about this before here at Richmond, but really when you talk about the restoration or the reconciliation of God, there's four key relationships that God is always wanting to restore. It's the relationship between us and God, the relationship between us and one another, the relationship we have within ourselves and our relationship with the whole of creation. And we see this again played out in Jeremiah because God is consistent, that God's purpose and the way that he is acting through kings and nations and natural disasters and all the events in the world, whether he... Not to say that he has caused them, but that he is working through them to restore people to right relationship with himself. Again, it brings us back to what we saw last week, that we humbly recognize our own frailty and we are awed by his majesty and divinity. In Jeremiah's day, the people had seen themselves as invincible and God was able to use the exile to remind them that they needed him that they needed to be restored to right relationship with him. And I wonder how that might ring true in our experience. How is our current situation a reminder that we are not gods, that we have lived with the temptation to put our trust in ourselves and in our intelligence and our wealth and our leaders of the world and to pretend that the world is not broken. And we are being invited to humble ourselves and trust in God. And remember that God's ultimate goal is not necessarily prosperity, health, wealth, and happiness. But God's goal is right relationship with him, which is good and wonderful. But it might strip away those things that we have put in God's place 
In Jeremiah's day, it was things like fertility and idols. In our day, it might be our money and our status and our work. If those things are being stripped away from us, it can point out their fragility and their lack of ultimate meaning and call us back to the only true God. Is our world being reminded that we cannot put our trust in the economy and that we cannot put our trust in our human ability to overcome disease? In the end, our ultimate trust needs to be in the creator and we are being called to right relationship with him. We're also, God is also always on about restoring right relationships between us and one another. Uh, and in reconcilia- reconciliation is his goal. And so the exile was also a response to the broken relationships amongst the people of Jeremiah's day. There was injustice and oppression and a massive gap between rich and poor, divisions within the nation. Is God speaking about that in our current context? In the global experience where I don't know about you, but I'm finding at the moment it's so easy to compare and contrast and judge and we're weighing ourselves up against one another. Or do we see that we're all in this together and be encouraged to reach out and serve one another? Maybe on a local scale with our neighbours, our family, our friends and our church. Is God inviting us through this experience to restoration, to connection, to vulnerability? I've loved meeting in our breakout rooms and finding that we're actually able to be really honest with each other, maybe more honest than we had been before this because we are responding to God who is responding to us in this situation. Really briefly to finish off, the right relationship within ourselves. Uh, Sophie's going to talk about shalom and wholeness next week, so I can kind of leave that to her. But really this opportunity for us to understand who we are and allow God to be the centre of our lives and allow God to speak into where we place our sense of identity and security. And the restoration of our right relationship with creation You cannot talk about providence without recognizing that although we live in the good creation that God has made, because God has allowed us the freedom to be co-creators, to be participants, to enact this world with him, brokenness has entered into the whole of creation. Paul says that creation is groaning under the weight of how our decisions as human beings and our brokenness has impacted on every area of what God has made. And so the exile for Jeremiah was actually also about a rest, a Sabbath rest for the creation, for the land. And there were glimpses of renewal and restoration in that. And I don't know uh, which ones are true or not. I don't know if you've seen the memes about dolphins in the Venice Canal or the Loch Ness Monster back in Scotland. Um, But there are signs that our creation is having a rest. How is God speaking through that, speaking to us about how we have acted towards and been in relationship with creation and how we might be invited to work in ways that are more restorative going forward. So I'm sure that I haven't answered all our questions this morning as we talk about this big idea of providence, but I hope that we can hang on to these key truths that God is responsive and God is restorative and God is relational with us, wanting to invite us to hear his voice and to respond to his spirit. If someone comes up to me, you know, during the week or probably more likely online and says, you know, where is God? Why is God allowing this to happen? I'm not sure that it's helpful to try and give them a logical explanation that puts it in a nice neat box and says, now you understand. I think God's invitation is to relate to him, to hear his voice speaking into the midst of it, to understand the kind of God he is, who is living, active, relational, responsive and restorative and to partner with him in walking through this time and in restoring the darkness that we find ourselves in.
So let me pray and then I'm going to give you a couple of questions that I'd love you to keep pondering um, as we connect with one another in breakout rooms today. Let's pray. Our gracious God, uh, this is such a big topic, this idea of your providence. Uh, there are truths that we believe and we hold to because the Bible teaches them and we have experienced them in our own lives and King Jesus has lived them out for us. But we don't fully understand. We don't have a way of logically putting things in a nice neat box that we can just then leave on the shelf feeling comfortable that we figured you out because your goal is to invite us into relationship with you into partnership with you into participation in co-creating this world to restore and to renew and to bring about your good purposes and so i pray that as we ponder the questions that a situation like this raises that you would give us that framework, that reminder that we are the clay, you are the potter. We are the created, you are the creator. We are human, you are God. But in the midst of that, we would hear your voice, that you are a relational, responsive, restorative God who is inviting us to hear your spirit's voice. Speak to us, God. Speak to us today. Speak to us in the everyday moments we find ourselves in this week. Speak to us through this time and this situation. We pray above all that we might hear and know you more because of the season we find ourselves living in. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.